This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, brought to you by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. Orbition Group is delighted to bring this podcast series, which boasts some of the most high-profile data, analytics, and AI thought leaders from across the globe. Each episode details the journey to the top of our industry's most respected leadership figures, while bringing unique insights drawn from first-hand experience on the industry's most trending topics, told in order to share knowledge, experiences, and ideas to inspire, innovate, and give back to the global data and analytics community. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Howell Bembo, who is the Vice President of Global Data and Analytics at GEMS Education. So, Howell, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. So where we always start is, I guess, getting our guests to give our audience a, a kind of brief introduction into their background and, I guess, journey to date, um, to, you know, to the point where where you currently sat, Howell, if, uh, if you don't mind. Yeah, no problem. So um, pretty much my whole career has been in data analytics. It's probably not something I consciously aimed for, um, <laughs> but it's probably where my skills and passions this sort of led me. So I'm, a, I'm an analyst at heart and a good chunk of my career has been spent working in um, public sector and civil service in the UK, uh, utilising those sort of core analytical skills across different areas such as you know, project management, strategy, policy work and stuff. Um, and I've always relished sort of working with, with people and working with data, you know, trying to make improvements through through the use of data into different businesses and different people works they do. So that's always been something I've been really interested in. Um, in 2017, I, I left the civil service and um, moved to GEMS Education over in the UAE. So I currently lead the, the global analytics function there, working with corporate departments and schools on a variety of different analytic projects. Nice. So obviously you're based over in Dubai, um, a place. I am indeed. Yeah. yeah, a place very close to to, to my heart, having lived there um, in the past. And obviously, um, you know, your employer paying my wife's wages previously because she's a school <laughs> teacher. So thanks for that. Um, but um, yeah, I guess. GEMS are a, a, a big mammoth educational institution, right? So I guess for, um, I guess a lot of our listeners in the US will probably know of, of GEMS as well. But, um, you know, for, for those of you know, those people that are probably less familiar, just give us a kind of bit of background on GEMS and, um, you know, yeah, how, how so, that's made up. So, so GEMS are one of the world's largest K-12, so kindergarten to grade 12 um, education providers in the world. Um, company is a little over 60 years old, established in the, in the, in the Middle East, and it's grown to you know, other areas now. So we have operations in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the US to complement that sort of that core Middle East part. But the full group, as we look at it, has over 250 schools in about 13 countries. Um, I work with about 90 of those schools, and I think, again, in about 13 countries. Um, and we educate around about 175,000 students. And they come from about 175 countries across the world. So, you know, we're, we're nearly getting every country. Um, we also employ over 17,000 people across the different parts of the group. And that includes around 10,000 teachers in total. Um, you know, interesting, we're also one of the, well, actually, we are the largest employer of UK and Indian trained teachers outside of their home countries. So it's quite a, quite a big um Big empire. Yeah, just a little bit bigger than the school I went to then. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the schools are a little bit bigger. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so so that all makes sense. I guess in terms of your, your role within 
the business and you know where it's sat and I guess you know the purpose of you being there just give us a bit of insight into into that yeah so I I currently lead the um, global analytics functions so I work with our corporate departments in our in our head office and then a wide range of schools across the board to just try and unlock some of the data and insights and some of the vast array of different areas that we have. So we'll, my team and double will work with sales, we'll work with customer experience, HR, finance. And then from the education side, we work with schools and, and teachers and looking at the performance of students as well. So it's quite a varied role. Um, it's your sort of normal corporate analytics, but then we've also got an education side, which is quite different. Um, that's quite interesting. It's sort of a, a, a business focused role. And I probably described the team, the wider team as sort of a internal consultancy. Um, we support everyone and we try and help drive things as well. So our, our end goal really is just to try and help the, the organization um, make better decisions through data and make them quicker. Um, so speed up that time from sort of data to decision is what we're trying to do. Um, we, we do that through a, a range of different sort of transformation projects, you know, big transformation projects where, you know, warehousing and, and analytics and stuff, but then small tailored ones that are, uh, have come up quite a lot during COVID. You know, we'll, we'll do little projects on, on, specific tactical areas i think those are the sort of main things we we cover yeah yeah no that makes sense and i guess for a business of the size of gems i was quite surprised when you told me the 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 team size so it's relatively small in comparison to you know the the business that you serve effectively does does that prove to be a challenge i mean i know we're going to jump into how that's set up yeah i i think the aim was sort of to to grow an analytics function and um i think the the challenge we have at the moment is you know, we've, we've done pretty well at the work we've done, which has meant the demand has gone up and up and up. And therefore, you know, we're, we're doing a hell of a lot more work in that sense. But, you know, we, we are sort of expanding that team out. Um, I think a lot of that is getting the right people in the team as well at the right time. And thankfully, I've, I've had that luck in the last couple of years. Yep. Makes sense. Okay. So I guess, you know, a lot of talk within the industry um, around, I guess the best ways to structure a data and analytics capability, right? Cause I guess a lot of businesses traditionally have, you know, if they've not gone on this journey yet in terms of, you know, creating an enterprise wide capability, um, they're probably considering it, but ultimately often have, you know, pockets or silos sat within functions of people doing their own thing for their own function effectively. So obviously your role was to come in and establish something that was centralized. What have been the kind of challenges in terms of creating that capability across such uh, a big global business that I guess hasn't had that kind of capability, you know, whether it be locally or regionally, or, you know, haven't had that support or capability previously? Yeah, I think it's probably the same in any organization of size that's sort of grown, be it through, um, you know, greenfield sites or it's through acquisitions and mergers. The, the biggest challenge is getting some consistency. You know, what, what you're left with when you try and pull that apart is different legacy systems in different places, different data sets, different processes, different ways of recording the same information. And challenging in centralizing that is, you know, what do you start to centralize? What do you bring into a central bit and what do you leave out within the sort of the regions and the, and the different areas? And, and part of that comes from those prioritization conversations that you have with different bits. But, you know, when, when you start to bring those things in, you have lots of other challenges that come in. So you need to get buy-in to change processes and sort of reinvent the way you do things. You need to create a common language. So actually people in Asia, Africa, Europe, uh, Middle East, are all talking the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you need to put in place sort of common data standards. And, and what that requires is basically a bit of a culture shift. 
Um, so you have to get people sort of on board to go, okay, yeah, so you're going to be the, the central part of it. And I, I don't think there's a right way of doing it when people talk about, do you need a central team or do you need teams within teams? And I think probably a mixture of both. If you have a central sort of expertise team that works with all the other teams. So if you can have analysts in those teams that are really good at you know, data literate and know what they're doing, you have that bonus of going, cool, I don't have to do everything. That team can pick up some of that stuff and I know the data from that team can be better and we can work together. Um, when you have just one central team, it's everything comes through there. I think it's probably best to have a mixture of the two yep. just, just for the data culture and literacy to grow in that thing. So you, know, you can be as close to the business as possible being centralized, but you're never going to be as close as you are if you're actually in the team. And I think if you can have those sort of working relationships with people in the team who are doing it you'll get a get a bit of a better thing there and what what we try to do as a central team is, is try and be that sort of service provider that people come to so sort of collaborate with people quite a lot um and then you know share the share the insights share the delivery of them and hopefully then that that grows that data culture out and doesn't make you so much of a okay that's the team that sits here and we're here you're still yep. part of the, the the wider every group sort of thing yeah in terms of you know going in and there's a couple of things you mentioned there around getting the buy-in and prioritization um and obviously you know it's your job i guess as you're building this team to try and tie all this back to the objectives of the business right so just talk us through how what that process looked like for you to kind of a try and get that buy-in um and you know for, for what you were about to embark upon and and then you know how how the kind of prioritization criteria kind of fell into place yeah, so I think you really need to involve people in the transformation, just get them to understand what you're trying to do and, more importantly, what are the benefits are to them. So communication is is paramount to any buy-in. Um, what we try to do is flip conversations away from saying, you need to go and fix A, B, and C, to sort of, if we fix A, B, and C, you'll be able to get X, Y, and Z. So you're trying to turn those conversations away from sort of data speak and more around outcome speak. Yep. Um, and you're far more likely to, to get engagement if the conversation you know, is about outcomes. Um, rather than data because most, most people don't really like data uh, in a way it can be quite scary for people yeah so that's always something there so yeah at, at the beginning for us there wasn't a huge amount of data products in place um for people to use so we looked at where we could make a, an immediate impact um and get some data products out quickly to, to build that sort of little bit of excitement um create some interest and demand and Doing that, we, we met with different teams across the board. We got the context of what their issues were. We started talking the same language that they were talking. Um, and those partnerships then began to be able to test some of those products that we built and iterate them with the teams. And then we released that to a wider audience. And I think then when you get the wider audience in, it's come from a team that know what they're doing. So if we developed a, an education product, we'd find some really good people to work with, develop the product with them, release it to a wider audience, and you know, do a little bit of comms and stuff. And then people go, oh, okay. So they start jumping in. It's not just we've pushed something out. It's been worked with with other people. So you're able to interact with more people on that when you're doing some demos and things. And you can sort of push it and get a bit more buy-in. Um, and, and those people who sort of jumped on early with us, we, we sort of used as salespeople, really, to go and tell other people about it and say, oh, yeah, it's a really good product. We've used it. So we had them doing some, some use cases to promote the work. And that was how we started to chip away at the buy-in. Um, yeah, I think you have to have a bit of a sales role as, a, as an analytics team just to get get in and push the benefits of what you're doing and push the benefits to other people. Um, and you know, if it's time saving, if it's efficiency saving, all those different bits, you know, people will start to get a bit of momentum up and, you, and get encouraged to use the products if they can see the benefit for them. Yeah. So that's how we sort of got that original buy-in and chipped away at people. It involves a lot of com- communication, a lot of conversations, um, a lot of reworking. 
on different stuff because you know learning the education side of the business in the context of all that stuff as well yeah that makes sense i, I guess I, I mean i've heard plenty of people that have kind of been in that centralized environment as far as data analytics goes talk you know refer to themselves as an internal consultancy i guess mm-hmm. one thing that fascinates me and um you know i'm sure that you've seen this yourself is that there's lots of organizations that are kind of going on this journey now um and i'm not too sure all the time that they know really why (laughs) you know that they're kind of doing it because i think everyone else is and they feel there's an obligation to do so and and so forth and so on um in terms of that experience with gems because you know I, i from conversations i have it's it's evident that you know if the agenda is being driven by the people that really make the big decisions, ultimately that buying can often be easier to create, you know? So um, obviously from a bigger picture perspective, but then in terms of the users uh, as well, what was your experience like with that in terms of, you know, starting this, this whole thing? And, you know, I guess what, what, what was the, what was the mandate for you? You know, what was, did it come from the top in terms of, right, we understand the benefits or was it more a case of, you know, you going advising what's possible? I think it was a bit of a, a combination of both. There was a, there was an appetite to, to, to have analytics in place. Um, I think it was then up to me to sort of work out the best ways of going forward with that and doing it. So um, again, as I said, small team. So a, a lot of our stuff had to be prioritized in what we do. So, we had so many different routes and options to go down that prioritization you know, was key because it's impossible to deliver everything for everyone and, and i think that's one of the the struggles that that teams face is sort of going okay what is actually going to make the difference so for, for me it basically come down to sort of a, you know, a ruthless focus and prioritization if you can if you call it that where we said what's going to make the most impact you know, where are we the major business opportunities within the business and what are some areas that we can tackle that will complement each other so you get more bang for your buck? If we start doing that, that'll, that'll flow through there. So we, we focused on three work streams, which are slightly varied, um, but it's our product. You know, we, we sell education as a, as a company, so we have to make sure our education product is, is strong. Um, so it's looking at how best we can understand that. And we have different schools and different curriculums, so that's a, a big project in itself. It's not as if it's just, okay, everyone's doing national curriculum for England. It's five or six different um, curriculum types and different types of school, primary, secondaries, all throughs. Um, so the product bit is, is quite a, a big part. And then we've got the customer. Um, and we have a sort of slightly detached customer because it's the child who goes to the school, but it's the parent who's paying for it. So it's understanding their needs as best as we can through our customer experience stuff. So we've got products and customers that is, is two, and then the employee. So as our main sort of cost and asset, you know, it's, it's, it's the employee. So those are the three areas we focused on um, and are still really, really focusing on and making sure that they're done out. And that's given us a strong footing because, you know, we're working with the corporate side on on the on the the, um, the, the, the customer and the employee and we're working on the education side again on the customer and the product so we're sort of capturing everything in those sort of little venn diagrams and there's bits that cross over so that's that's where we were managed to sort of get some quick wins across the board um and get the buy-in i think because it's we can deliver value for everyone um across the board i think you know if you you've got if we get some good information on a, how a school's performing we can use that in our marketing we can use that and push it that way so each one complements each other. And I think that's where you yep. get that more, more bang for your buck bit, um, especially on the customer experience things. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess being such a big business and you talked about, you know, the the different geographies and, 
you know, there's going to be different, you know, understanding your customer um, for a lot of people and a lot of businesses, that's fairly simple in a lot of instances. But obviously, like you said, you know, your customer is, um, you know, detached from their parents who actually pay you guys, right? So you need to try to understand the needs of both of those people. And then you're not just talking about the same types of people. You're talking about people from different backgrounds, races, ethnicities, locations, geographies, everything. So I, I gather that must be difficult. But on the flip side of that, internally for you, how has that worked out as far as you know things like data literacy and the, the work that you've had to do internally? Because I, you know, as you'd expect, there's certain parts of the world that are further along that journey from a data and analytics standpoint than others, right? And certain parts of the world that are probably a little bit yeah. further behind and, you know, where the, you know, the, the geographies are more insular um, and, and so on and so forth, really. Mm-hmm. So ha- has that been a challenge in terms of trying to kind of, you know, bring yeah, all of that I, together? I think there's, there's, there's you know, any company you work for, there's different data literacy levels within the company, depending on these departments. Normally your finance guys are quite data literate, but other areas are slightly different. And I think when you go to some of the schools that we work with, your, your maths teachers and your physics teachers are really data literate and stuff, but maybe not your English teachers as much. So I think what we've tried to do in when we're delivering the data products is we, we do some guidance videos. We'll do um, that. We can share out so a little five minute video on everything we do to understand how we do it. Things like we, we do NPS across our schools. So we'll actually do, I'll, talk to people for a few minutes on, on a video and send that out and say, this is what MPS is, this is what it means, and this is how we can follow up and close the loop and do the bits there. So we, we, we try and push out as many things that are sort of standardised because it's, it's tricky to get to 60, 70, 80 school entities and lots of different departments with the same message. But if you can embed those messages in some of the tools you're doing, go, look, here's a guidance bit. If you don't understand it, click it. And we're always sort of come back. And we, we tend to do lots of little videos. If someone said, I can't work this tool, well, what are you trying to do? We'll jump on a call and just run through it and, and record that and then send it back to them. So there's little bits we've done like that just to try and help people understand what we're doing and the reports that we do and things. Some, sometimes there'll be like a video report or something like that or a um, standard one. So lots of emails out, lots of communications. Um, and yet it's, it's definitely working, um, improving those levels, and, but it's not, it's not the easiest thing to do. Uh, I think you know it's it's possibly a a full time job to improve data literacy um, <laughs> in any company. You know, yeah. In different places I've worked, again, it's the same. You know, you've got different levels and different people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I imagine you know, given the fragmented nature of that business and the different geographies and um, you know the different the same products but different products because it's for different people. If that yeah. makes sense, it's uh, that that must yeah. be must be I, interesting. Yeah, on the, on the customer side, it's, you know, we have one one school in Dubai that I think has 125 different nationalities in it. Look, so that's a it's an interesting school in itself, and having such a big thing there. But you know, Dubai is such a a mixture anyway. You know, it's it's predominantly expats. Um, so the customer is okay, it's expats, but they are from pretty much every country across the world. And what they what they see as being the right level of education and what they want is slightly different because. You know, if you go to a school in the US or if you've come from a school in Australia, it might be quite different than a school in the UK. And there's all slight different ways of doing it. So it's it's trying to look at you know, what that customer is saying about each school and sort of assigning it right to, okay, that person's from this, they might be expecting that. So maybe that needs to be a, a bit of extra personalization within that school with those customers. And I think that's the challenge. And you know, with such a, a broad spectrum of schools and products on offer, it's always going to be tricky to understand exactly what the customer wants. Um, but I, th- I think we're getting there. You know, we're starting to understand it as best we can. Um, 
but again, Dubai is a, is a ch- changing place. You know, people come for three years, four years, and then maybe they move on, and it's a, a, a new kind of person coming in, and it's always always shifting and changing. Mm. And obviously, COVID's had an impact on on, on the Middle East as well, um, in terms of expats returning home. So that's had another impact that we've had to sort of try and have a look into. Mm, yeah, no, that's interesting. Obviously, you you spoke earlier a little bit about you know the benefits that you've seen of making the capability centralized across the business um i guess in terms of the wins from a commercial standpoint for for, for, for gems is there any kind of highlights that you can share obviously we don't need you know details to, yeah uh, but, uh, um yeah we, we've we've probably had a range of successes in in what we've delivered across the different areas um one of the benefits of, of decentralized capability for the schools has been we've been able to produce data products that multiple users across different schools can can use. Um, you know, we've worked on the education side to provide schools with data products that massively reduce time from analyzing. You know, schools are renowned for having huge amounts of spreadsheets uh, and people working on spreadsheets in different places. So what we've done is you know, we've built products that actually that data is kept centrally. You know, we've we've done data sharing agreements with exam boards and assessment places. So actually all the data comes in century rather than in 50, 60, 70, 80 different schools. And then we've pulled that together and matched that up to our internal systems in terms of like CRM systems and things. And then we've given those data back. So we triangulated all the data for the schools in one go rather than them 50, 60, 70 times doing it a few times a year. And that's had a massive impact in the schools to be slightly more data literate because they're then clicking on it and understanding the insights straight away. So they can drill down to school level, grade level, even student level to understand where students are slipping through the gap in a really, really quick way. You know, three or four clicks and you can find out which students are performing to the, the level, which, which grades aren't doing as well. So that's had a massive impact on time saving in the education side of things. And then probably something on the on the corporate side, we've, we've worked with multiple departments on, on different data products. But one of the ones that's been really good is some of the customer experience stuff we've done and closing the loop on feedback. Um, we've seen since we input the, well, started the project three, three, three years ago, um, our NPS has moved up 400% across the group um, and every school has seen an improvement. And that's because we're, we're providing the insights back to the schools and centrally to say, okay, these are the things that we need to fix or change the perceptions of within schools and, and push that up. Um, I did do some work the other day and there's been a, you know, that's had an impact on churn. So actually when you, when you increase the NPS, you also reduce churn. And that's, that's been quite a positive thing. Um, mm-hmm. that we're, we're, as a team, we, we've got lots of little successes because we've done lots of little projects and just chipping away. But I think the, the biggest success is building that data culture and building that data list levels out, which does take time. But because we've got more and more buy into our products and more and more people coming to us and we've got more and more work coming our way, there's a success, the fact that actually people are getting excited by the analytical side of things and wanting to know more and wanting to get involved in their data. And that helps you just improve the, the quality of the data at the front end because you know people are using it. Um, so I think that's probably one of the biggest successes is just driving that data culture and literacy levels up. Mm, yeah, that's really, um, that's really interesting because, uh, you know, I imagine that once you start to get that piece right or, or at least moving in the right direction, then the other things start to fall into place, right? A, a little bit, you know, obviously it there's helps. a lot of work that yeah. goes into it, but it certainly, yeah. you know, starts to, to drive you towards the right direction. So um, I guess the, there's a few key things that I guess you refer back to quite a lot throughout this, Howell, and it's that's been, you know, communication has been one of them about the yeah. importance of just kind of trying to get everyone on the same page. And that's helped you to, you know, drive a more literate culture, mm-hmm. which is, you know, drove you in the right direction um and the other piece is around prioritization and being ruthless um in that i guess 
to come back to that prioritization piece for a second, because I know that from your perspective as a data analytics capability, you know, you want to prioritize things that you can show add value quickly because that helps then to drive the literacy and so on and so forth. How did that conversation go from a commercial perspective? Because I appreciate that, um, you know, you're also trying to make sure, you know, it's a balancing act, right? And um, often there's projects that you can probably see and go, well, that'd be great. That'll add loads of value, but actually the business might not be ready for that yet. They might not need that yet. They might not understand that they need that yet. So how does that kind of, you know, how did those conversations go in terms of you actually identifying, we're going to do this because, you know, A, it allows us to show value quickly, but also yeah. it's going in the right direction as the business. Yeah, I think you know, when you do a lot of these things, you, you have to be careful not to run before you can walk. <laughs> yeah. And I think a lot, a lot of people talk about, oh, let's do some AI and some machine learning. And actually, yep, that's the, the sexy stuff that everyone really wants out of it. There's you know, the tip of the iceberg things. But you really need to get your foundations in place first to before you do any of that. There's no point on you know, just running ahead and just analyzing whatever's there if you don't know if it's of any robust quality to do stuff with. So I think that's, you, know, you really need to be able to do that first. And as you develop those foundations, um, those opportunities arise. So you might say, okay, I need to fix all of all of this, but actually you don't need to fix it all because you might fix a third of it or a fifth of it and go, actually, we can do some, some fun stuff with that now. So I think you sort of have that plan to go, let's get the foundations in order across the board and any opportunities that come up for us to do some of the more interesting stuff, we'll do them as we come. And I think what, People find if you want if you explain that to them. I always use the iceberg analogy and that you know, tip of the iceberg, but there's a huge amount of work that goes in below that to, to get anywhere near the fun stuff. So it's it's, it's trying to get people to understand um, that it's not just a you don't just click a button and stuff stuff arises. You have to go okay. We need to really understand what the quality of the data is like. Where is it coming from? Who's put it in? Is it complete? Is it valid? Is it still the same? Is it five years old? Is it one year old? When we're trying to analyze it, and once you start to get those bits, you can sort of be a bit more confident in delivering the insightful stuff that comes from it. And we've done that in various different areas. You know, we've, we've said, look, actually, we need to fix this first. And then if we fix this, we'll be able to deliver X, Y, and Z afterwards. But first, the big challenge is going to fix this. Um, I think being honest around that and, and managing those expectations, you know, you can't just go, yeah, I'm going to deliver you machine learning and AI straight away. It's fine. And then don't deliver it because you haven't yeah. got any of the, the data to do it. So you, you, know, you have to do the tedious stuff before you can do the sexy stuff, sadly. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because um, I speak about this quite a lot on LinkedIn, as, as I'm sure you've seen, but um, there's definitely this misconception with, you know, within businesses that this whole data analytics thing is just a big investment in some technology. And once you've bought it, there it is, you know, you click a few buttons yeah. and boom, it's open. Obviously, as you know, that there's, there's so much more to it than that. And, and then, you know, you raise a very valid point. It's not just about, you know, what your stakeholders want for the business and trying to tie that back to the you know the, the the objectives of the data and analytics capability to those objectives it's also thinking about where you internally can show value to get people on board but then it's also about what are you able to actually deliver with what you've got when you first arrive right um, from yeah. a you know from a, a systems and tech and tooling and, and perspective what, what did that kind of foundational level look like i know you referred to it before a lot of legacy systems dotted around what 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 have you done to kind Um, of create that centralized space i think in that in in doing the foundations bit a great deal of my time is just spent learning the business you know learning what the needs are what the challenges were etc and and how data analytics can support each bit Uh, you mentioned in our bench four is it was communication constant dialogue was key so probably the 
you know, quite a large portion of my time in that first six, 12 months was spent talking to different parts of the business, talking to some of the schools, understanding what they do. Um, it's probably still a good proportion of my time now, to be honest, is, is making sure that we're still doing the right thing. But just sitting down with people to understand the, the, the challenges, understand the context of what's going on. And then once you have that idea, you can start to see where you're trying to go. And you go, okay, so yeah, that's your problem. This is the context. Now I understand what sort of data we need to be using on that, and then we'll go back and try and fix that. So you know, the, you know, the education side was tricky because we've got so many different intricate parts. And for me and the team to develop education products, we had to really understand the education side of things. You know, I, uh, before, I don't know the American curriculum. I don't know the Indian curriculum. But we need to know what data points were available in it and what we could do with them and how we could match them to other bits and how we can start start producing it. So you know, we worked with some really, really good educators to, who gave us that knowledge and we sat down with them. We went through the data sets and went through what was available and went, okay, yeah, so I understand that. So then we could start building stuff and iterating it with them and it was just getting that foundational bit there. But I think the, the foundations and the priorities go hand in hand. You know, there's no point in working on the business priorities if your foundations aren't there. And there's no point working on your foundations if you don't know what you're trying to answer at the end. You could just be going to clean up loads of data sets and pull things in that no one actually needs. So I think those two are key. And sort of that just comes from talking to lots of people repeatedly. Um, and again, it, you know, I come, I've come back to that. Imagine the expectations of people and say, look, here's the data. They expect, you know, deliver something amazing from this. You go, actually, well, you know, that hasn't been recorded. Right? We've got gaps here. We've got stuff here. And we need to pull things through. We need to, we need to match stuff up and all those different bits that, need to go in but if you get people to understand that if those bits are fixed we can deliver the good stuff then that makes life so much easier um and i think it's also telling people that the foundations will never be fully fixed there's always going to be problems there's always going to be more to do and you're always building on those foundations so you're always bringing data sets in from new places external places and sort of trying to enrich what you've currently got so it's trying to get people to understand that okay yeah we fixed that now we need to build and build on it and so yeah it's just constant conversation, basically. A lot of talking, a lot of coffee. <laughs> it's, coffee um, <laughs> yeah, it's um, it, it's interesting because I think there's a there's a whole you know so much talk in the industry and and often we're talking about this right and, and exactly what you just said there. You go and speak to people in the business, speak to the stakeholders, understand what problems they've got, and then you can work backwards from that to understand right. You know, this is what we do have or don't have, yeah. um, but ultimately, you know this is what we need to, this is what we need to have to be able to do it. And then at that point you can start to think about the, you know, the technological infrastructure that's going to suit the purposes of the business best. Yeah, and, but I think what, what I think we often. An honesty with it as well, where people say they want to do X, Y, or Z, whatever it might be and go, that's not possible because we don't actually have any of that data. You know? Yeah. And we'll, we'll look at ways we can get it or get proxy data that can do it, but maybe that's not possible. And they go, Oh, okay. But yeah. that was a, that was a name. We need to do this. And we can't do it. Um, but what we can do is offer something else. And I think one thing the team's done over the last couple of years is try and offer that those other solutions and go, yeah, we can't do that, but we can actually do this. And that might fill sort of 60, 70, 80% of the, the first requirement. And then over time, you can hopefully chip away at filling in the rest of it. So it's, it's deliver something. You might not be able to do the thing they want perfectly, but you can deliver something that goes some part of the way to doing it. Yeah. No, and that's a, that's a, a, a really great point because I think what what I see a lot of organizations be, you know, guilty of is, you know, they have this, they have this epiphany, right. We're going to do data analytics. And, and all of a sudden it's like, right, what do we need? Well, okay. We need, 
we need a, we need cloud, right? So we're going by AWS, and they go and load themselves up with all of the tech and the infrastructure, and then they start thinking about right. Well, what data have we got? I'm trying to like let's bring that in, and then it's like point right. five data scientists. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And then it's like right, okay, we we're ready now. What problems have we got? And then they realize that the problems the business has, they can't fix with the tools and the data that they've got. Um, so, you know, it, it it's crazy. I guess in terms of the time scales, because I'm sure there'd be people out there that are maybe on this journey looking at this centralized capability, um, you know, putting those foundations in place. How long did it take you to get that? You know, at what point did did that kind of all come together and you think, right, we're in a good place now? Um, so yeah. it was, you know, usable and, and, you know, time, cost implications to kind of get that, get that right? I'd probably say that it's, it wasn't until sort of 12, 18 months where you're starting to see the extra value because it's part and parcel of getting people on board. It's, it's fixing stuff. It's, you know, the first bit is around investigating what's there, what's, what data's there, the lineage and, and working out what you can use. And that takes time. Um, and it's not until you've actually got that bit fixed that you can start to deliver some of those insights. So probably, probably 12 to 18 months is when we started to, to deliver insights. We were doing little bits, chipping away when we, when we couldn't you know, take those opportunities when they arise. Um, and then after that sort of 18 months is when you start, things start to speed up a little bit more. So actually the quality of what's there, those foundations are starting to come in place and you can, you can be a bit more agile with people and, and adapt quite quickly to questions raised. So what, one thing we tend to do is when anyone's asking us for data or asking us for visualizations or, or analysis, we'll, we'll try and understand why they're doing it and, and come back to that question and go, who's it for? What's the audience? What do you, what's the outcome with that? Because then we can better tailor the products to save our time. And also people are actually asking quite often for the same thing, but in a different way. Yeah. So they're like, oh, can I have this? And actually it's the same as what someone else has already asked for. So we're trying to build those products either to push out to everyone already. So, you know, we've already done this for everyone or we've, we've got the capability in the background to, to play around and answer the questions when they come up. So that's, that's helped us, but it did take 12 to 18 months to get to that point yeah. where you're actually putting stuff out. That's, that's really hitting it. And I think that's one of the challenges and it depends how mature the business is when you start when, and what access you have to things and where it's all kept. But yeah, as you said there, you know, you can go and put AWS in and put five data scientists in, but you're not going to get any value if the, the, the data is not there in the first place. And I think, you know, being honest about get your foundations right first, and then you can grow after that. Um, and it's quite quick to grow after that. You know, you can start turning stuff around quite quickly, uh, but it does take a good, a good bit of time to to get in place. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, again, that this is what I see time and time again, right? You know, it's this light bulb moment, right? We're going to go and we want to do data and analytics, but what that means in a lot of organizations' minds is we want to do data science or ML or, or AI, and they go straight to that end of the spectrum because that's where they perceive the value to be. They go and hire a few data scientists. Foundations are in place. It doesn't work, and then their view is oh, this data science thing doesn't work, yeah. um, and also they're expecting it to almost be like a, you know, once we've bought you the technology, um, we're just going to go and flip that switch, and, and there's the value. Mm. And uh, as you said, you know, it can take twelve, eighteen yeah, months to actually. You know, when you when you're doing some of that learning, you need a, a good solid bit of history of data to do yeah. it to work out what's going to happen and. You know, you can't just throw whatever's in there. And it takes time to tweak those algorithms as well and make sure actually they're, they're robust and they fit through. And we, we've been playing around with different bits. And ours is obviously quite tricky with the, the breadth of customers we've got and the breadth of schools we've got because actually 
where something works in a certain type of school and a certain type of price point doesn't work in another. So the, those algorithms actually need to be broken down into different bits and looked at in different ways. So, you know, we've, we've got probably three years worth of really solid data in some parts, and it's only now we can really start to use that to do it. So it, it does take time to get to those points. Hmm. Yeah. So moving on to kind of one of the final pieces of, of the puzzle then, and something that you spoke about right at the start was the importance of having the right people. Now, this is naturally given my line of work how something that I'm hugely passionate about and I guess, um, you know, speak a lot about on LinkedIn about what type of people organizations actually need to get this right. Um, and I guess the the association with, or maybe fascination, obsession, if you want to call it that, with, you know, the technology piece, you know, when you're going out. And my view is that most organizations, when they're looking for these people, and I don't know why, but it's still often viewed as this is a technical, technological yeah. role. You know, So they're going looking for analysts, they're going looking for data scientists, whatever the case may be. And they're bothered more about which tool or tech they've used, yeah. You know, Python or R, Tableau or Power BI, as opposed to how good this person is at, you know, communicating, which, you know, that's all you've banged on about for the last 45 yeah. minutes, um, you know, telling stories, getting influence, uh, being able to influence stakeholders and business users, you know, drive literacy, all of that type of stuff is the stuff that adds value. Yeah. But the way most organizations attract talent is purely on the technical. And then they turn around and say, oh, great technically, you know, best dashboards we've ever seen, but people aren't using them because they, you know, and, and it's not, not answering so, the questions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So how do you go about then central, you know, in this centralized capability that you've built from the ground up, how do you attract people first of all, into that space? Because it takes a certain type of person to go into that space when the foundations are in place, the big, the business is so large and fragmented, there's a lot to do. Um, and what are the kind of key traits that, you know, you were looking for um, to make sure that it was successful? Yeah, I think what, one thing I've noticed, and come back to your point about what, what people look for when they're doing these things, is too often you see on LinkedIn adverts for jobs and things will pop up and you go, I need five years of experience in X and 10 years of experience in Y. And you go, you don't, because if you've got someone who's, who's good, they can pick something up in a couple of months anyway. And actually, when you're asking for someone who's got 10 years experience in certain tools, you're sort of cutting out a huge amount of potential workforce that is a bit younger. You know, anyone in their 20s probably hasn't got 10 years worth of it, or their early 30s hasn't got 10 years worth of experience using X, Y, or Z. And I think, you know, what we've done when, when we've done recruitment is try and look for people that um, have show a passion for, for analytics and uh, can think on their own. Because as a, as a line manager, I don't want to be telling people exactly what to do all the time. I want them to come up with ideas and be quite creative and, and you know, just dive into things and go, yeah, there's, there's something we can do that, you know. They can understand the main project they're trying to, trying to do but the way they do that is up to them and it's you know a lot of that's conversation but for us at gems we've got a small team so it's about having the right people with the right skills um at the time to make it make the headway and luckily we've had those people i probably described them the, the people in the team is like jack and jills of, of all trades and a master of some yeah. um you know we a little bit of data science here they understand the technical side of things you know they understand need to understand the data processes throughout your ecosystem you need to be able to talk to people involved on the technical side in it on the business side on the on the ground when they're looking at you know processes and issues there um and then they need to be able to translate insights back to the business so it's it's a not quite a unicorn but you, you're looking for something like that in 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 a small team i think if you had a, a large large team you'd probably have some specialist people within it 
um, because you've got the capacity to. But in a small team, I think you need people who have skill sets in all those areas. And then as you evolve, you know, we're evolving as a team and we may be looking at putting in place a, a pure data scientist um, because we've got things ready for them and they're able to go and use it and they can run off and do that. And that can be part and parcel of that sort of experimental area that, that we're looking at. And then if it works, we'll put it into production and then push it out. So I, th- I think you have to, starting off, for us, it was, you know, those, those Jack and Jill's people that can do a bit of everything well um, mm-hmm. and some stuff brilliantly. And then in time, you just sort of scale out a bit. But there's no point just jumping in and appointing five data scientists and, and going, hey, you go, here's some data. And they're going, well, can't really do much of that. Um, yeah. Because, you know, it's not going to help anyone. And yeah. it's costly. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I think, um, you know, I mean, I, I bang on about this all, all the time. But, you know, and, and unfortunately, that's still how most organizations try to attract talent. And that's more often than not the method that they use and you know I've, I've seen it so many times like businesses that go on this journey and the first thing they do is to hire a data scientist but they are then expecting them to be you know to go and find the data clean the data prep the data you know move the data to where it needs to be and and that's not their skill set so you're paying someone a lot of money to do a job that you know they're they actually only spend maybe five percent of their time doing and they're not actually interested in doing it so they don't do it very well and then they leave yeah, and then they leave. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I think that's you know it, it it happens at all levels. So if you're looking at someone at sort of a, a more junior level, you're looking at someone to to run something at senior level. Some of the adverts are they're crazy. You know, I personally don't need to know coding to do my job. Um, it's handy that I've got an idea of different bits, but I don't need it. Uh, and it, you'll still see sort of okay, you know, you might get sent job descriptions that go, oh, you need this, that, and the other, and you're like, no, you don't. Yeah. You need to be able to make sure you understand what's going on and work your way through it. Yeah. And you need to employ people that, that can understand those bits or pick them up and, and do them. I think that's where sometimes the, because it's quite a, a specialist area and I think recruitment can be quite wide. You know, it can be recruiting people for lots of different areas and because analytics is quite, quite a, a niche area. People will go, okay, yeah, you need to know all the technical stuff. You need to know these five different systems and these different systems. You go, no one does really. Yeah. Because no, no, you may have worked at a company for three or four years, but they don't run five different warehouses. They don't run six different BI tools. You probably want to run possibly two. Yeah. And that's it. And so you, you, a lot of them, you just don't have the people ready to go in. And then sometimes when you do get CVs through and they say they've done all these things, you know, and you have those interviews with people, you certainly understand they haven't. I think it's a, it's appointing people who you think have got the capability to do it, who can showcase that they've got the passion and the knowledge of how to do it, and they can communicate with you. And they can talk around why they've done something and what was the impact of it. And I think that's quite key because too often or not, depending on the size of your team, you can get people that are really, really good and they can be brilliant, but you need to tell them exactly what to do, why they're doing it and do the translation back. And you go, well, actually I'm, I'm doing two thirds of the job yeah. for the other person. If you can find someone who can do all those things and do them, do them strongly, you're in a much better place. Yeah, absolutely. And I couldn't agree more. I think, um, you know, I've probably, um, ranted many a times on LinkedIn about especially at the senior level but you know the senior level we kind of people like yourself we you know you get that right you know you see these adverts and I mean I I think my message often gets misinterpreted you know so I I put something up before Christmas and it went absolutely bonkers on LinkedIn it had like you know (laughs) 200,000 views and nearly a thousand comments and stuff and it was uh you know it's because I saw an advert which was looking for a director of data 
um, which said you needed to have a PhD in data science, be able to build machine learning models, um, be able to use GCP. And I was kind of like, you know, this is a strategic role. Um, why does this person need that? And, uh, but that's part of the problem, in my opinion, not so much at the senior level, because people like yourself kind of look at that and go, no, I don't. Um, and, you, and you wouldn't apply for a job like that. You well, exactly. Wouldn't be, you wouldn't contemplate it. You'd go... But the more junior level, I think we're almost, at, the industry is almost fueling this behavior because, you know, if you're junior to mid-level, you're looking at that thinking, right, well, you know, they almost have to pander to the tech to feel mm. like they've got a chance of getting the job. And that's why then you see these CVs that have got every technology under the sun listed on it. And often they've never used it. They might have looked at it once or twice, but it may be just what the business has somewhere, you know, in a legacy yeah. system over here. And um and, you know, that's become a talking point now around, you know, all this stuff that's on CVs that actually when you strip it back, exactly as you said, they're using maybe, you know, one or two things off that list. Um, but they, you know, there's almost like this obsession with it needing to be on the CV because that's what they need to get yeah. the job, you know, so it's kind just of this get, cycle. Get through the door yeah. sort of so we yeah. just need to change that narrative, I think. And obviously that's yeah. part and parcel of why we have these conversations. So, you know, people like yourself that have been there, done that, grown a team, you know, seen success. It's not all about, you know, how good someone is with Python or R or Looker or Tableau or Alteryx or whatever tool, you know? Mm. So Yeah. And, you know, people who, people who are decent will be able to pick up something pretty quickly. You know, it doesn't matter what the tool is. If they've got an understanding of one tool, you know, if they can use Tableau, they can use Power BI. It might take them a month just to understand the, the, the changes, but they'll pick it up. And if they can do Python, they can do R, they can do SQL. It, you know, they can, as long as they've got the ability to do one thing, they can probably pick something else up. And yeah. actually those people are the ones you want because they can just dive into stuff pretty easy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as you said, it's that kind of critical thinking piece, right? The communication, you know, being able to tell yeah. stories, translate things back um, and, think critically and i think yeah. one of the reasons why we struggle with that is because they're not tangible things to recruit for right you know no. it's easy to see if someone's got experience with python and tableau yeah. because it's on their cv and you can ask them questions around how much they've used it how much experience what projects have they done with it in terms of you know i don't know tell me a time that you thought critically well that's really hard to you know there's there's no way of tangibly putting a, a metric on that that makes someone good or not right you know so yeah, it's the, um it's the, the problem skulling skills bit problem skulling where everyone's like oh and it, yeah it's, it's trying to tease some of that in interviews and go you know what what have you done that was like how did you run with it and what was different in there what did you pull out of it and what was the what was the impact of it yeah and i think you, you can tease that out through through interviews but you can't tease it out through a cv at all exactly yeah i think a lot of companies use cv checkers so a lot of those people are already missed out because exactly. they haven't maybe put the 15 different software things on there mm -hmm. to get gotten through and you know that's another thing that's a challenge yeah absolutely and again you know that's that's what's fueling all this you know buzzwords on cvs is just to try and beat the the ats yeah. system and <laughs> yeah. yeah so we're in this cycle but anyway um how absolutely fascinating conversation thank you very much for coming on i guess if anyone's got any yes. questions um in terms of you know your experience you know any questions about what we've spoken about today yeah. are you open for people to reach out and if so what's the what's the best way for for them to yeah, get yeah that, that, that's that's fine and um, probably linkedin's the easiest and as my name is is pretty unique it's, it's quite <laughs> easy to find on there um, yeah. yeah just search how and i'll pop up <laughs> yeah perfect all right well Hal, thank you very much for your time um it's been a pleasure yes. and we'll speak to you again soon cheers thank all you right, cheers bye that's it for this episode of driven by data the podcast i hope you enjoyed it I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, 
Please follow our Bishing Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week.